So, another episode of Two Guys in a Cloud. And Bob, I think today we're we're very fortunate because we have a third guy in our cloud. Yeah, I, um, we have guy number three for today, and that's Todd Peckett's. Um, welcome, Todd Peckett's. Welcome, Todd. Yay! Well, thank you, gentlemen. I'm All excited flat. to be here with you. We're very happy to have you. Um, for those uh, that are listening, I will um, just provide a real quick intro to Todd, and then, of course, you know, turn the mic back to Todd so he can very fairly elaborate. Um, Todd is a teammate of myself and Bob at Insight. Um, <clears throat> Todd is responsible for our Microsoft Professional Services Group in the commercial um, side of the business, which what that means is that uh, Todd's been in the business for an awfully long time, is very, very smart, um, and works with an awful lot of very smart people to help our clients that are, generally speaking, you know, 6,000 seats and below, um, enable the cloud, enable the Microsoft stack. Um, but, you know, that that just covers a whole bunch of ground. And Todd, I know I'm, I'm not giving you enough credit in saying that. So, yeah, I, please feel free to elaborate where I, where I missed there. Sure. Well, I'm also humble, so I don't consider myself that smart. I'm learning every day like our customers out there, um, but I do appreciate that. I'm not giving away my age. I've been doing this for a little over 30 years. I started my career really in disaster recovery and business continuity. And uh, as we move into the cloud, um, or many of us are already in the cloud for a while, but uh, clearly with uh, the current pandemic that we're all experiencing, uh, the cloud has become um, a, a key enabler for us. And I feel like my experience in the disaster world um, translates really well to what we're experiencing today, because I think nobody's really had a plan for not necessarily being in their office facilities for an extended period of time. And uh, this is creating lots of new opportunities as well as new challenges. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I've always found, found that you do an excellent job at weaving together all the different facets out there. It's very easy for, I think, somebody like, you know, me to talk in terms of concept, you know, that, hey, we could take this business model and we can make it, you know, uh, this much better if we use the cloud, quote unquote, or, you know, we can bring this much more value to market, which will be in ultimately what we're going to talk about today. But I end up taking for granted, which you're always very good about is, pausing and saying, you know, there's a lot of different facets here. It's, you know, and that includes things like security, you know, and, and other things that aren't just about the, you know, I would say the, the just the very traditional thought of the cloud. Um, does that make sense? I know you talk about this all the time and it's I, I always do. thought provoking to me. I do. And, and um, you know, I, I have a couple of, you know, slogans that I constantly banter about that I think really sum, sum up things, you know, for our customers. Um, they're in many cases or in almost most almost every case are focused on productivity right no matter what they do whether they're a car dealer and they're selling cars or they're a hospital and they're servicing patients it's about productivity and you know i tell them productivity goes synonymous with digital safety and you know digital safety is is uh you know an interesting term because a lot has changed in a very short time uh, for many of our customers and one of the biggest challenges continues to be security. And as we move out of our traditional confines of our data center and our office where we kind of have you know, tight controls, although it's a false sense of security being in a location, um, a lot of this has now changed. So as we move out of that traditional work environment and operate completely remotely, alert fatigue is the new reality. And so yeah. I start to talk to customers 
And so I, I kind of say, you know, as we look at the cloud, right, there are two pieces of the cloud that I'm very excited about. One is really security, and the other side of it is really productivity and collaboration. And, you know, that's really what the cloud is about. It's about the productivity and the collaboration, the security layer that kind of encompasses and envelops everything that we do is so critical to ensure that we can remain productive. Yep. Um, so, you know, perfect. And then, you know, I, I think one of the things, well, I know, you know, what we want to talk about today is, you know, how does the cloud help us bring greater value to the market in general? And then I think it's how to, how does it helping us do that in this era of Corona? Because I think, you know, kind of the, and this was Bob, this was your idea. And yep. I think an excellent one in the sense that, you know, I think the this age of Corona has forced us to rethink how we do even the most traditional things. And, you know, in that, in doing that, one of the ways we're able to facilitate a new vision is through the cloud. Um, there's a billion ways for us to talk through that. And, you know, I've, I've come to the conversation with a couple of examples, but Bob, maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah, I, I actually have a recent experience I wanted to share with you guys. Um, but first a question, um, Elliot, I believe you've done some air travel since we've had COVID. Todd, have you uh -huh. um, done any I, air travel? I have not. Fortunately okay. or unfortunately. Okay. No. Yeah, I think it's both. So actually, a recent experience I had just a week ago um, I, was my first experience um, flying from Orlando to Phoenix for a friend's wedding. And um, it was interesting, right? Because like you said, Todd, the world has changed from a COVID and business standpoint. The airport is clearly uh, not as busy as it was in the past, um, which is good. Um, and the airlines and, uh, you know, when you're on the flight, you're wearing a mask for five, six, seven hours, depending on how long your trip is, which is interesting. But what I really started to feel is once I got to the hotel, and this was a pretty expensive hotel, you know, four or five star level, and we get there and the whole experience is different, right? You're still paying a high rate. But, um, you know, there's obviously no in-room cleaning service, which makes a lot of sense. But what really got to me was, you know, the things like uh, there was no beverage service. There was no room service. The uh, restaurant is closed. Um, you know, the things that you get used to from a traveling COVID standpoint is not there. I woke up early because it was a time change for me and went to the gym to work out. And there's a message from the governor that the, the gym is closed. So it's really interesting to me how, um, you know, industries and the markets during COVID have changed their rules, are slimming down. You know, there was one person really working behind this, the, uh, the staff. And it got just, it's just very interesting that COVID is now really affecting everything from business travel to technology and uh, the services and expectations that we have are completely different than it was six months ago. So, uh, Bob, I, I want to just um, draw a quick parallel to that. And, um, you know, Microsoft um, uh, about two years ago developed a strategy around zero trust. And, you know, we wear our masks and we operate today in a zero trust model because we assume that everybody that we come in contact with um, potentially is a carrier. Um, and we also assume that we're potentially a carrier and everything that we do and everything that we touch today, we're thinking COVID. Um, right. And, 
you know, the, the Microsoft Zero Trust model really assumes that everything that we do is corrupt in terms of our asset may be um, compromised, like our laptop or our phone, our network may be compromised, our application that we're using may be compromised. So it's interesting that you notice that because, you know, there's really a close parallel. Um, unfortunately, what, what we'll see is um, in the zero trust model, we put things in place and then we start to rely on that. And I think I'm hopeful that the pandemic um, comes to a conclusion um, very soon, like everybody else. Um, but we're going to have to become more comfortable with the fact that we don't trust anything. We're going to have to take those precautions. So it's an interesting right. parallel that I draw from that. Um, yeah, I, but that. I, you know, and this is where I think that there's tension in the conversation because not in this one, but just in the whole, you know, dialogue as it relates to the, you know, Corona and, you know, innovation in during a time of Corona. I hear Bob's story and, you know, frankly, I, I blame the folks that are managing that hotel. You know, I mean, the, the reality is that in any capital market, there are challenges. You know, sometimes there are profound challenges, right? And Corona is clearly a profound challenge, but it's incumbent on the business owner, the, you know, the entrepreneur, whoever's got the profit motive to innovate. You know, that's the truth. There will be a hotel out there that innovates within the construct of Corona that says, okay, look, you know, we can't, you know, we can't demand the same rates for our rooms, as Bob was saying before, if we don't provide the same level of value. Right. So that's right. today, you know, so they're not providing the same value. Why are you paying the same rates? That makes no sense. Right. That's right. But, I, I felt so, like I was not getting the value um, that I had paid for. In, right. In and, you know, and so what, what has to happen is that, you know, there will be a hotel, whether it exists today or not, that figures out a way to provide an enhanced level of value within the construct of Corona, being attentive to the security concerns as an example or whatever the restrictions are, you know, and um, have a hard time hearing something like zero trust, but I get it. You know I mean, like, you know, yeah, you got to have that mindset, but I get it, you know, but at the same time, there has to be a fabric between innovation and within that innovation's sensitivity to uh, vulnerabilities, right? You know, so there's, that's, I think that's what's at play. I mean, I think that's a perfect triangulation of the issues, right? And, you know, I think there is, okay, so what are companies doing today to be attentive to both sides, you know, of that. And, you know, honestly, like I, one easy low hanging piece of fruit, and I, this is just to spark the conversation, um, not to labor here, but insight, you know, I mean, one of the things that our, our group, our company did very early on was develop, you know, a platform that, you know, we call, I think we call it the connected platform for detection and prevention, right? You know, and in essence, it's, you know, what I would call, um, you know, an arc, you know, an architecture, uh, architected solution that's comprised of, you know, smart devices and, um, you know, using artificial intelligence. I think it's within Azure, just surveillance cameras, you know, a number of other components to help us in our offices maintain a certain standard of um, security, safety within the era of Corona. And then, of course, we provide this to certain customers, right? And it's a way for us to offer an in-office experience, but be secure at the same time, leveraging technology. And in this case, I think Azure, it, you know, I think artificial intelligence. But, you know, again, that's just to sort of kickstart it. But I think that there's many examples of that, or there should be. 
Yep. And, and I would add to that, right, you know, just putting on my technologist hat for a moment, um, there are some great things that are um, accessible today um, in the Azure platform and with technology that allow you to capture sentiment. So, you know, if I were running that hotel, right, I'd want to see the sentiment of my um, my customers. If I see that, that's, you know, if I'm able to get some immediate feedback and I'm able to then collaborate with my designers and architects, maybe there are things that I can do to enhance that experience. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? We're hypersensitive to the end user experience. And whether that's our customer or that's the customer of our customer, right? That is the goal. And technology can really help with ensuring that that experience is what needs to happen. And the reality is it's got to change and it's got to grow because every day there's a new challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's difficult just in regular times for companies to look at innovation and try to make investments there. And then when you have a pandemic, it's even harder because you're probably losing revenue. You're trying to stay afloat and you're trying to figure out what is next. But but the, this pandemic has really forced companies to innovate, mm -hmm. right? It's forced companies to think about different ways to do things, maybe even better or different than they have in the past. And I use my example as, as one that I think, to, to your point, Elliot, that needs to happen, right? Companies need to look at different ways, right? Um, employees are working from home now, mostly. That's probably not a bad thing. Right. You can reduce uh, real estate costs. You can reduce office space. You can do reduce everything that goes with um, owning space and having uh, employees work remotely. And it's probably better, more productive for um, your employees to do that anyway. So this is a new world for so many different companies and innovating and finding the ways to do things maybe a little bit better, a little bit different is a challenge to a lot of companies out there but it's something that needs to be done because we're forcing it, right? It's kind of well like how um, the retailers are today. They're being forced to, to have more online presence. Uh, the malls of all across America are dying because we're losing these big retailers. They've got to innovate. They've got to find new ways. Mm -hmm. Well, don't forget digital transformation. Um, you hear, you know, this is, I'm sure if you watch any of the, you know, major analysts or any of the, technology leaders, they'll tell you we're seeing five years of innovation and transformation occur in less than five months. Right. And that's a significant driver. And you're totally right. Um, for many of our customers, they, you know, at the end of the day, right, they'll come out of this better than when they got in it with a lot of pain. And yes, there's innovation and those drivers, you know, you started your conversation about saying, you know, there's no one, you know, it's very hard to have an investment to drive innovation. But in the, you know, if you flip the other side of that, right, you have an opportunity now to really focus on the things that are necessary, that are critical and innovate around those so that they become your um, differentiator and mm -hmm. they help you survive right. and weather the storm and come out of it in a much better position than where you started. Yeah. You know what it kind of reminds me of? I mean, we've all... Again, not to date ourselves, but I, I remember working during the late 90s, you know, super late 90s, like I think 98, 97, as the Internet was just, you know, really becoming a thing. And there were these all these, you know, what we probably today call envisioning sessions or 
you know, visualization sessions because nobody understood it. You know, nobody knew. They knew that there was this thing called the Internet and they knew that it could help them, you know, become more profitable. At the very least, they knew that if they went public and they could attach the Internet to their narrative, they'd make more money. But there was all of these, you know, blank canvas conversations. I, I call them that, like that blank canvas whiteboard type conversation where you're starting from scratch. And I almost feel like we're there again, you know, where we're, we're starting from scratch again in the sense that we have to sort of pause, hit the reset button and, you know, rethink how our traditional business goes to market because the market is radically different, you know, and, and that's, I, you know, and I find those conversations very fascinating. But, you know, then again, there's all these different elements to it. Um, so, you know, along those lines, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this will maybe give us a chance to talk security a bit, which I, you know, I know is definitely part and parcel with all this, is that as we get into these distributed environments, right, you know, you talk about employees moving into distributed workforces or all of us, you know, kind of becoming much more um, autonomous. It's very conducive to the cloud. And then part of the value that the cloud brings is the data aggregation of our experiences. And then let's call it you know, the artificial intelligence component. Like, for example, I think about real estate, not real estate, um, retail, you know, in the sense that, you know, now retail space is at risk, right? So, you know, then we get much more into the online retail experience, which, you know, there's this huge shift of the consumer behavior into the online retail experience. And then there's all the data that is part of that. And now all the artificial intelligence that's part of it. And as a result, you know, that, that there, you know, we get this more nuanced, intuitive retail experience online, but at the same time, there's all this privacy risk tied to it. So, you know, as more and more data shifts to the cloud, that whole pendulum impacts as well in terms of privacy and privacy risk. Um, how do you, how do you like even begin to have that conversation, Todd? You know, like wh where do you go with that? Yeah. So, you know, Privacy risk is is really an important concept, and and that really aligns to compliance. Um, and so, you know, we as we shift to remote everything, safety and security is really key, and privacy is part of that that continuum. Um, and um, on top of this approach, identity is really the key component, right? You have to have a strong identity strategy. Um, strong cloud identity is the key to that zero trust model that I was talking about. Um, digital trust and privacy is really encompassed in that whole model. So compliancy is more important than ever, um, and users are creating, they're accessing, and they're storing critical data in new ways in this age of COVID, and DLP policies are critical. So, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Microsoft because that's really what my bread and butter is, but Microsoft's really leading that effort, and, include, and they're incorporating cloud app security with digital leakage protection or DLP. And so what does that mean? Um, you really have a compliance manager that provides a risk-based scoring to help the customer understand where they are at any given time. And since this landscape is changing every day, right, those scores change every day and being able to get your arms around it is critical. Um, we also recommend that you use like a SIM tool, right, for um, event management and incident management, something like Sentinel. And there's also something called XDR now that Microsoft is driving, and that's the extended detection and response tool set. And this approach is something I talk to a lot of clients about, and it really helps them take advantage of the 8 trillion, you got it, you heard it right, 8 trillion signals that are created every day, right? So, you know, Microsoft is monitoring those 8 trillion signals per day, 
and they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to help correlate these low fidelity signals um, that even six months ago would have been impossible to understand or really be able to detect and take advantage of. So, you know, we, we, take, we take a look at that and then we add to that equation the new Defender platform, which really brings it all together. It brings identity, cloud app security, device, cloud infrastructure, networking, and IoT all under this one window. Um, and, you know, to extend to customers that have on-prem infrastructures, because not everybody is fully in the cloud, um, Azure Defender also has the ability um, to include SQL and on-prem um, instances in the overall threat uh, prevention, detection, and response methodology. So we see all those pieces tied together, and privacy is really key in there because today people are using devices in their home. They're using devices that may not have necessarily been a corporate asset in the beginning, but now in the age of COVID, um, companies are sending um, laptops that are brand new and building you know, basic security profiles. But now we have devices that we have our Facebook and we may have you know, WhatsApp and all these other applications. And how do you allow people to have privacy but also have security and you have to have a really strong strategy that understands how people operate because we have to still operate our lives. We're still working from home and, you know, life goes on. So that's yeah. definitely a key thing. Let me, yeah. So I want to connect the dots on a couple of things, right? So, you know, I think what you just outlined there, very important, you know, and I think what it speaks to is how an enterprise or how a company or an organization protects the data that it's the, you know, shepherd of, Right. So, you know, it's like data is coming into my organization because of the service that provide I provide or, you know, the interaction that my employees have with customers, however you want to frame it. That's where the data is coming from. And I am I am protecting that data through these methods that you're talking about. Right. And I think separate from that is this notion of I'm a consumer, I'm an individual and I'm you know, I'm there's a sense of trust or not that I'm I'm implying when I engage technology. So, example. You know, so we all hear about TikTok, right? You know, this video platform. And and by the way, to me, that's an outcome of Corona in the sense that, you know, we're all now isolated. We're all by ourselves. We're all, in, you know, distributed. Of course, video is, you know, going to be prevalent. It's the it's a way for us to connect with others. TikTok is an ex exact expression of Corona as far as I'm concerned, because it's a way for society to connect with each other. But of course, what we all know is that, you know, TikTok has got some robust artificial intelligence behind it, is able to pick up very discrete patterns of human or consumer behavior. They're able to correlate to individuals. There's a lot of concern about the fact that that's, you know, held by a foreign country. You know, that we, I, I will skip that part of the narrative. Um, but, you know, in essence, it occurs to me that, you know, there is an opportunity for companies to market themselves as a secure entity to provide greater levels of trust in the marketplace. And, and that to me is also value. So this circle it back to value, right? So, you know, if I'm, if I'm really truly concerned about privacy and the data that I impart as a consumer, I'm going to be more uh, interested in working with companies that commit a certain level of, of, you know, secure posture because, you know, I'm going to know that my data is safe with them and that's value. 
right? And I don't know if companies really do that. I think companies make investments in security today because you know of liability or they need to or they're worried about what could happen. But I think that it also could be pivoted and turned into a value proposition in the marketplace today, if done correctly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And that is a reasonable way to look at it. And many of our customers are looking at it that way as well. Because like I said, the new world is very different than the world we had six months ago or eight months ago. And we have to look at it a little bit differently. And it's interesting, um, you know, the the world is becoming um, a, a little bit simpler in that, um, you know, we, we start to see, and again, I talk about Microsoft, um, but we start to see Microsoft now supporting Android and Apple um, iOS and Mac OS in a much more consolidated way. And why? Because people's behavior and their patterns and their personal preferences really drive how they operate. And we cannot no longer live in a monochromatic world where we say everything lives in this place, this neat little box, and everything has to fit that model. That's not how we live. That's not how we work. And we have to be a little bit more open to having people work the way they want, where they want, with what they want. And that introduces lots of complexity. But at the end of the day, um, productivity is the key. So you've got to find a way to balance the privacy elements of what we do um, individually and the imperatives that our organizations require, which is, you know, security and, and control. And it's always a balancing act. And I don't care if it's days of Corona, if it's a year ago, 10 years ago, it's always been a balancing act. It's just now it's a lot more complicated. And thankfully, there are more tools at our disposal to simplify that. Mm -hmm. Todd, I got a quick question. If you're in an organization and you're looking from a security standpoint, how much money do you really need to invest um, and put towards um, IT security, for example? You know, I think about like Detroit could make a safe car, but it would be so expensive, no one would buy it. So where does this company find that line from uh, spending the right amount of money on a security platform or strategy versus um, overspending. So, you know, this is the thing you can, there is no formula. You can't say, Hey, I'm going to take 20% of my total it budget and put it towards security. Um, there, there is no golden magic number. Um, okay. I think it's very important to also, um, you know, I tell my customers constantly, right. Um, progress over, pro, uh, over perfection, right. And, you know, perfection, I talk to some customers and we'll sit down, we'll whiteboard and all of a sudden, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment um, to achieve their goal of, um, of risk mitigation. And, you know, they get paralyzed. And I tell customers all the time, right, don't make perfect the enemy of good. And so progress can happen every day in small quantities. If you're Office 365 and you increase your protection to, let's say, from an E3 to E5, right, you're layering in layers of, of progress that ultimately will lead you closer to perfection, but you're not necessarily having to spend a truckload of money. Um, and especially in COVID days, there's not a lot of excess um, cash for most companies to plop into things that may not necessarily get them immediate gains in terms of their outcome or their production. So again, progress over per perfection 
you don't have to spend everything and get 100%, but security and, and our model today is all around incremental increases. And the way to do that is really making progress. It's a journey. You'll never be fully secure. You'll never be fully optimized. You'll never be able to be 100% collaboration in the optimal setting, but you have to make steps in that direction and progress is the key there. Thank you. The um, one of the, uh, just a, a quick pivot a bit, you know, so I'm thinking that, you know, where a lot of in innovation value is going to come from in, you know, today's world uh, is through startups, you know, through new companies that, you know, w it'll be easier for them to take a blank slate or whiteboard or however we phrased it and go after a market because they see an opportunity, right? So like, for example, if I had a product today, I would not you know, work with the store and we put into a, you know, a typical retail experience, I go straight, you know, online as an example. Then there's many other ways to look at this. One of the benefits that the cloud clearly provides startups is the ability to create their solution in an incremental way, you know, without the big, large capital investments, um, which is, you know, what were, were barriers to startups in the past. You know, in the past, if I was gonna create whatever I had to create, I had to get a whole bunch of capital to, you know, build a data center or, you know, get an office or, you know, today that's not the case. You know, my workforce can be remote and the systems or, you know, whatever uh, web-based, internet-based, you know, environment I wanna prop up, you do it all through the cloud. And it, I think many people are familiar with the fact that the cloud gives you that in terms of things like, virtual servers and infrastructure. I think there's a natural understanding of that. And we've talked a bit about that in prior episodes, but what the cloud also provides is the ability to architect solutions, you know, and I, I hesitate to say software environments because it's more than that, right? But, you know, things like containers come to mind or, you know, when I think about um, commerce, I think about blockchain, you know, but containers in particular, right? And I, you know, I would love if you could, Todd, if you could help people understand how you could leverage, you know, and I call platform as a service, Azure as an example, and elements such as containers to create, um, you know, business systems in a way that's incremental. So I don't have to pay for everything up front, but I can build it over time in an iterative experience. Yeah, so I, I, I probably would pivot off of the container discussion for a moment, and, and I hear what you're asking and saying, and I think there are a couple of other major things that impact that. And really what you're talking about is operational costs versus capital expense. And that is, you know, that is truly what the cloud brings, right? You know, just-in-time consumption. Um, but what really adds to that equation is, um, the GitHub repository that has a lot of reusable code and the integration of open source technology that now is um, certainly been embraced by many of the major players like Microsoft that really allows you to take advantage of things that have been developed already um, and customize it and have access to um, API architecture that really gives you a leg up so that the things that once once upon a time would take you a development cycle of you know multiple iterations in many months to now a very quick um, cycle turnaround with reusing a lot that's out there really helps innovation um, it drives innovation um, we have a great digital innovation team within insight that is um, leading world class 
and we take advantage of those types of um, advances and our customers clearly have the same opportunity to do that mm-hmm. plus you know the better controls that we have allow us to optimize what we're using and when we're using it so just like you you talked about platform as a service being able to um, uh, to to uh, um, spike your utilization and take advantage of more um, technology at your fingertips when in demand requires it is really the way that most companies now are able to control their costs. They don't have to go and buy racks of systems and data centers and gobs of bandwidth waiting for people to come. Um, You can innovate quickly with the technology that's out there today. Um, Dynamics is a great platform where we see lots of commerce taking rapid advantage. The cloud is a key element to make that happen. And then access to information. I mean, never before did anybody have at their fingertips um, this rich ecosystem to draw from. So all those things together um, and aligning to a tighter security model makes it possible for you to take something from concept to production in a very, very short period of time. So that is definitely a key. Yeah, no, and I appreciate what you said there. And, you know, I think in terms of building blocks, you know, um, particularly in the beginning, when you talk about things like GitHub and so forth, that, you know, the building blocks are just bigger. You know, I mean, you're not starting from scratch and, you know, it's much faster to build the house because, you know, the bricks are bigger, right? So that's, I always have to bring things down to very simple terms, but that yeah. that's, you know, that's sort of how I see it. And then, you know, being able to, you know, power the house through, you know, paying for what I use as opposed to paying up front. All that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I think it's, it, to me, it's exciting times, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, having the luxury of been, being around for some time, you know, you see that this is just a rife moment in time for innovation and, you know, really having that entrepreneurial hat if you choose to do it, you know, and there are definitely entrepreneurs out there, you know, that will take advantage of this moment. And 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, yep, that's when it started. That's what, that's when such and such did such and such. And that's why they're where they are today. You know, guarantee that's happening right now. Yeah, very, I, I, I echo your sentiments. And, um, you know, I, I certainly, um, you know, the human side of me feels terrible for what many of us, or if not all of us are experiencing today. Um, but on the flip side of that, this is the most exciting time in my career from a technology perspective, the rapid changes and the opportunity for us to do things differently um, and help our customers do things better is to me the best part of what's going on. And like I said, as we come through the end of this and we move forward, um, I think it, it it is an enhancement for all of us experiencing what we've experienced. We're never going to go back, right? Things will never be the same. Um, I think they'll be better. And in that mon- you know, with that in mind, right, I'm very excited about how things are going for us as an org and for the things that we're doing for our customers. Yep, yep. And it's hard. I mean, you know, I think that this is you have to balance the narrative in your head, you know, and it seems that when it comes to, you know, just society in general, many of the great accomplishments of humanity have been the outcomes of some of our biggest tragedies, you know, and we, um, you know, history helps us look at these things in different ways. And I think your, your points there are very thoughtful. You know, I think it's real. Um, so, okay. But here's a question for you, because I know that I said containers before, uh, and I would love for you to just, I know it's not specific to the way I premised it, 
but can you help me understand containers a bit better? Because I've heard it bounced around and I think I get it, but not really. Yeah, so I, I I probably I could probably spend a couple hours talking about containerization and <laughs> you know what that model does, um, but it really is around scale and being able to create um, uh, a a uh, an environment that you can rapidly develop around and deploy and manage to scale um, really gives you an opportunity to create um, uh, a very simple approach to um, implementation and then be able to cookie cutter that and um, and and quite frankly innovate around that um, so I could probably if you'd like we could probably spend um, uh, another segment on containerization I've got a couple of my teammates that are experts in the area we definitely see containerization as a, as an enabling technology um, but it's really it's it's more of a process it's more of um, creating a simplified ecosystem to manage and to be able to scale. Um, so I probably, without necessarily, you know, talking about how we're decoupling, you know, critical elements and standardizing on some of the core components of the operating system, um, containerization is, is a fairly straightforward concept, um, and it's not that far from the uh, virtualization space that we know, um, but it's, it's uh, a creation of a, of a methodology and a, uh, a core component that allows you to be able to reproduce that and scale that um, at mass and manage it simply as well. Got it. So th let's call that the teaser for the container episode in, in the future. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, so, you know, I, I guess let me ask you, Bob, you know, with everything that you're hearing or that we're talking about from a economic perspective you know where do you where do you see the implications i guess well it's it's really a couple different things right it's important to understand um what what the that cost of innovation is and i think people get scared of innovation like we talked about earlier because of the cost but when you move to the cloud sometimes you know to be honest with you the cloud isn't always cheaper and customers need to realize that it's different, but it may be a way to innovate some different areas and do it quicker, like Todd was speaking. So if you pick up a workload and you just plop it into the cloud, you may not save any money um, versus the way you're running it today. But you need to think about things in a different way now. And from an economic standpoint, you need to rethink your business, how how your customers are doing work, how you're touching different customers, how your IT runs, how your data center runs, how um, your cloud apps run. And there's so many different ways to do it and putting a strong strategy around that, whether you're innovating, you're optimi optimizing, is so important today, maybe more important than it's ever been, um, so that customers can start containing costs and really understand what that budget is. Many clients today are concerned about um, the cost of the cloud because it's a variable cost to them. It goes up, it goes down, it very rarely stays steady. So how do we really get to that steady optimized state? And and that's something that we all have to work on because it is going to be a moving target. The cloud is not the wild west um, and some people think it is. And it's important that we put structure and some financial accountability around that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I think that all makes perfect sense. And so, you know, so it, 
what I got out of that is it, it's not a straight path, right? That it's not, you know, it's not saying, hey, I'm going to the cloud, therefore it's cheaper. Although there may be certain economic benefits at certain times, but a lot of it relates to what's the strategic notion behind what you're doing. And in that construct, it may be that the cloud's perfect because of your strategic intent. So it really kind That's of right. is, it is about the intent very often. And then I think a lot of it is about the expertise, right? Understanding if I've got this workload and I'm moving this workload to the cloud, what's the best way for me to do that? Because there may be a more cost-effective way to do that. You know, it's like anything else, knowledge right. matters. Yeah, you know, I get that. Aging myself a little bit, I think of it kind of like when the dot-com era was going, right? Mm -hmm. Traditional businesses knew that they needed a website, but they didn't know how they were going to do it. What are they gonna, yeah. How are they going to reach their customers? What value is it going to bring to me? But I know I got to have one. So, you know, that's a little bit like what the cloud is today. Oh, are you on the cloud? I got to get to the cloud. Make sure you have <laughs> a good strategy once you get there, right? Right. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Excellent. So, um, I'm, I'm, you know, in some parting thoughts here, Todd, you know, just as you kind of look into the crystal ball, what are you most excited about as it relates to our world? And, you know, really, it could be anything. Just feel free to, you know, do your thing. Well, you know, the things that, that I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about is um, the ability for us to just be able to take a lot more data and get some intelligence out of it. Um, you know, I'm sort of a numbers guy and a data guy. Um, and I would actually like to leave um, this conversation with a couple of key components. Um, I, I just had a, a meeting with a customer, a very strategic customer, and they basically, you know, asked me for, you know, a couple of key points. And I kind of netted it out to four key points um, in terms of their current position and what they really need to be focused on as table stakes in this world. And I tell them, you got to use MFA or multi-factor authentication. You've got to keep your software current and up-to-date and patched. You've got to make sure that you understand and that you have inventory of all the things that are running in your network. And you got to track the progress of your secure score and your compliance scores, right? Those four things are the things that I tell every customer as a best practice. And I realize you asked me for a more generic, like, what am I thinking? but I feel like it's my obligation anytime I have the ear of anybody who's listening um, to ensure that I bring out those four points because those I think are the four points that are really the things that'll help us survive where we are now and thrive as we move forward. Yeah, good thoughts. Excellent. So I, I guess with that, you know, Bob, I, I'm, I'm thinking this may wrap up yet another episode of Two Guys in the Cloud. Sure does. Thank you, Todd, for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay. Right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.